Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, hello, hello! Welcome, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Welcome to for another week. We're so glad that you're here. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And if you are watching us on the video feed, you know that we have some special guests. Please welcome Rob Dunkelberger. Hello. <laughs> Rob Dunkelberger and Dr. Mads Oh, man, I almost want to start the show over again because I butchered Rob's name. I've only, you know, only known him for 20 years or however long it's been. So It's not the first time Rob's name's been boofed. <laughs> no. That's true. Uh, welcome. Uh, so today we have a super fun show. Uh, well, first of all, Rob Mass, th- welcome. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Super. Um, thanks we- for that. Uh, pleasure as always. Yeah. Great to have you back, uh, both back so soon. Um, uh, of course, Rob is best known for double feature times. Um, and uh, Maz, we just had Maz on. Um, what were we talking about? Um, we had uh, the other disaster movies, the also rands, the yeah. the not so disastrous disaster movies, or the um, twice as disastrous. disaster <laughs> oh, yeah, movies, I guess technically, yeah, they. The multifaceted disaster movies. If you're looking um, for that but, episode, it's actually called Disaster Leftovers. Y'all check it out. There you go. It was fun. Perfect. Um, so, but we are back. Uh, we are glad to have both these guys back because today we are going to do a um, a little retrospective on somebody who, frankly, movies would not be what they are today, for good or for ill. But movies would not be what they are today without this guy, and that is the special effects master uh ray harryhausen um yeah ray harryhausen uh he a pioneer of stop motion photography and if you are thinking like oh stop motion photography isn't that you know like uh you know rudolph the red-nosed reindeer and you know uh, the, the what herbie the elf um and you know things like that uh yes that is stop motion uh photography that's stop motion animation but um ray Ray harryhausen was uh the best at it one of the innovators one of the uh he um uh, he often refers to or people refer to him as the 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 grandfather of special effects um with you know and then it kind of moves into the 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 digital and and um, other uh, uh, types of special effects but none of it really would be there without the work of ray harryhausen so we're going to kind of go through and take a little uh take a little look at um at ray harryhausen's amazing career we usually don't jump this far back in uh in time ryan Sometimes um, when Rob's here, when, when I'm here, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but that's why he's gonna, here because um, there's super old stuff on this list, so the, he was the natural go-to guy for it. Mm-hmm. And Maz is here because he sees some of these, and 
we figured would have something to say about you know if yeah yeah if you ever go on and you're like you're like oh my god uh tw- you know uh the the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms who's the one guy that owns that we have him we have him here today yeah for sure um, that's awesome and that is uh dr mary um all right uh before before we do our, our countdown theme ryan you want to talk a little bit about ray harryhausen this was this was your brainchild um, well and- i didn't uh i bought i bought I own all of these too. I bought a box set from Australia that basically has almost all of them in them because they were, they were hard to come by there. Most of these are, were made by Columbia pictures. So that's not so hard. And there's decent versions of them out there, but not all of them are. And they're a little hard to patch together, especially in the early days and the later days. And I don't know. I, I don't, I like it, you know, adventure films and that's, after we get out of the initial just pure monster movies we do get into basically one adventure film after another and so that's where i come to to ray so i have feelings about all of these i remember a bunch of them when i was a kid and then some of them old as they are i just am seeing them for the first time now so i don't know i just felt like the kind of thing we would do you know our, yeah, our, our it, very it, second show was was um, scary movie monsters mm-hmm. and some Harryhausen monsters, which I won't name by name, appear in that episode as things that scared Joel a lot when he was a child. That was basically what the episode was. It was not what are the best or coolest created or whatever monsters. It was what were we most scared of when we were kids. That's true. So it that's had slee stacks in it and it had stuff like that that maybe aren't super scary, but that we those, were yeah. And I think oils, man. I think you'll find that what Joel says is true to a certain degree. They we the effects business it's turning over yet another generation now. So it's it's but I think you'll find a lot of the baby boomers grew up with these movies, watching them on Saturday afternoons, being awed by the effects, you know, which I, stop motion is what it is. I mean, some of it's cool. It all kind of looks great, but none of it really looks super real. That's not really the point. It really is movie magic in the funnest, goofiest sense. And it's fun to talk about the plots of these dumb movies and it's fun to talk about how they justify getting the monsters in there and everything. And, and it's, it is, it, they are really important stepping stones in the effects that you have today, I think. And of course, well, I can't remember the Australian guys who still do the awesome, the chicken run gang who still do the Um, awesome stop uh, motion. Frost is Frost. Is it Nick Frost? Park. Nick Park. Nick Park. That's what it is. Nick, Nick, Park. Nick Park. Ardman Studios is what they're called. Yeah, Ardman yeah. Studios. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. That helps. You know, so it's still that's well, not that's nothing films. like this stuff, but it it stop motion, the art of it and what you can do with it is still out there, which is really, really neat. So even though mainstream effects movies and adventure films for teenagers and kids and stuff are have moved on, the art of the whole enterprise is still kept alive and i think that's neat too yeah we see that in our materials uh um henry Selleck, you know the director of uh nightmare before christmas and um 
and what is it wendell and i think wendell and wild or something like that just came out on netflix that's a Coraline guy you know did Coraline. um and then uh uh yeah and and again peter jackson another uh you know filmmaker peter jackson peter jackson loves himself some ray harryhausen and he has been a big part of preserving and restoring a lot of these uh and a lot of the the stuff that they have found in Harryhausen's, you know, that they found in Harryhausen's garage so that we have all of this archival material and how he came up with some of the stuff that he came up with. Yeah, um, Peter Jackson, Rob, obviously Rob, a big King Kong fan. King Kong and yeah. the abandoned project creation was all Willis O'Brien. I guess he'd be the great grandfather of the special. He's the great, grand, yeah, great grandfather. You know, he really, really special stuff, especially the, 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 there's there's stop motion right which looks fun and is awesome but then there's the way to me and i i'm not i didn't read a book about this or anything but to me what willis o'brien changed is the way stop motion stuff interacts with actual actors and sets and backgrounds and stuff like things in king kong things you've never seen before um and still you watch it and you're like well that's you can see it stop motion but it's like how you still watch that movie from the 30s and you're like how did it how did they get the guys in there and then how did they do this and stuff it's just, it, it really is incredible and Harryhausen jumped on board somewhere in there and I don't know exactly where but Rob was right to point out before we started that um really his technique really started to take over and then they worked together kind of parallel to each other in different things for years but in uh, mighty joe young where the animation of the 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 not massive but still oversized gorilla in that film is is a step beyond even that what we'd seen at the time that movie's um as an adventure movie that movie's sadly too stupid to be considered a total all-time classic but some people love it because it's it really is amazing to look at. And again, it, the way it interacts and it really feels like that thing is in the room with you is kind of amazing. So, so that's a good I, place I love to that start. Film. You like, I love that film. I like it. I like it. I like Ben Johnson. You know, I just, I, I admit that it, it kind of, the, the mean cabaret kind of goes on and on and on and on with nothing happening. And I'm kind of like, mm. I wish there was more to that than that, but. I, I don't hate it or anything. I think it's great. I like it better than Son of Khan, for example. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll say that. It's an evolution on from that, which I think they needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, Maz, Rob, anything uh, anything on Ray Harryhausen in general before we jump into, jump into his films? Um, no, I just think he's got an impressive body of work. I mean, he... Would you say he was the one that started stop motion for big movies? Could he be accredited with that? Was it he just was good at it? He was a he was a, unlike O'Brien who would show up bop in here and there. Harryhausen was a cottage industry. He will I don't know where it happens exactly, but he hooked up with Charles Schneer, this Hollywood producer, and the two of them. You know, it wasn't like they, they created each next project and laid out the timelines for each movie based on him. And he, he didn't direct any of these movies or whatever, but he he's the he was the 
he was the the selling point for them. It was Ray Harryhausen's Dynamation, and that went through different permutations. That name, but so to me, yeah, he was the he was the first one, and really the only one where the name sold the thing. Yep, and, and he so you knew what they were selling, what you were getting from him, as opposed to selling some you know Greek adventure story that was. You got that, but the important thing was when's the next cool Harryhausen thing going to show up? No question. And he uh, he had a big a bigger role than most special effects people would in all of his films. In that he was involved from the very beginning. He almost dictated to what the, the story would be. Yep. yep. And yes. and how they need to shoot things because it was so complex what he was putting in. Yeah. that the director couldn't just have free reign and then he if you wanted to direct a, a harry house and schneer picture yep. you had to know that you were subservient to them and whatever their ideas were and so yeah yeah and, and but and a bunch of decent a the... bunch of halfway decent film directors came along throughout those processes, yeah. which is kind of neat well, to me that is one of the neat things about the, about this is these are not directed by ray harryhausen but he didn't want to absolutely he didn't no, want to bother yeah. going on location or doing anything. He had to move yeah. these little things this min yeah. minuscule amount like over years to get these pictures yeah. done. Yeah. So you know. yeah, and, and so and he yeah, yeah. did almost all of it himself. Right. He didn't have a you know, now when when Wes Anderson makes one, he's got various technicians working on different scenes yeah. and and doing that. Um and Harry Housen just he did it. Yeah. All it was in like, yeah, his his studio was like it looked like, you know, like a a back den of somebody's house, but it was just just stuff uh, yeah. everywhere. Shooting one um, frame at a time. I mean, just that alone, you guys. That's how they did it. One frame, move the thing, this tiny imperceptible amount. Whack, shoot another frame, shoot another photograph, yeah. basically, and line them all up together. And mm -hmm. That technique is takes so much patience and you know to get it right and so much <laughs> pre-planning and stuff. It really is a miracle in that way that this stuff it looks and behaves kind of as as amazing as it does. So and, and the way it combined those elements after that was put together with a live action. I mean, if you don't have things lined up right on set with right. glass plates or whatever mm -hmm. you're doing. Like, are you going to spend two months reanimating something or? Yeah, sometimes that location? is what they did. But they, yeah. but mostly they got really good at it and got it right. And that's yep. pretty amazing. So. Yeah. It makes me makes me think of uh, uh, there's an episode of Parks and Recreation where after uh, Adam Scott's character gets fired, he's he's like, no, no, I'm doing great. Unemployment is great. I, you know, look, I've been doing I've been doing stuff with my claymation. But watch, watch, watch what I, you know, I've spent the last week and a half doing, you know, working on this, and then he plays it, and it's like REM stand. It's like stand in the place where. And you know, and it's just like this thing starting to get out his person getting out of bed, and then he's just like. Oh God! <laughs> what am I, um, um, so yeah, it is a time-consuming, mind-numbing, uh, singular uh, uh, process. But um, this was obviously something that you know, talking about finding a vocation that uh, fits the person. Um, this is it. Well, okay, we we have uh, let, let's get into the films themselves. So this is we, we are play doing the countdown, countdown thing. 
Yeah, this is a countdown of the movies of Ray Harryhausen. Ten seconds. Nine. Nine. Eight. eight seven. Seven. Six. six five. Five. Four. Three. three two, two. One. One. Flying through the air. Haven't heard that in a while. It has been. It's been a hot minute since we've uh, counted down. So, and then we're counting down. Well, we're counting down in chronological order. Well, we're trying. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we're trying to tell the story of of his career and how it developed and stuff. So, like most of our countdowns, chronological order, and maybe we'll pick a favorite at the end. I think the favorites sort of pick themselves in this case. So we'll see. Truth. Maybe we'll Truth. disagree. All right. We've already disagreed about Mighty Joe Young, so things are very. Tenuous oh, around tense. here in terms yes. of tone already. Watch we out. are. I know the. I know, dear listener, you were on tenterhooks uh, as you listen. Like, oh my god, is it going to be Guanji? Is it going to be one of the Sinbads? Oh my god, I don't know what it's going to be. Well, let's say let's hop in the wayback machine and go to 1953 with the first, his first sort of the the uh, the first movie where he was the visual effects. Um, uh, specialist, the director of the first real, real Ray Harryhausen film, and that is The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. It's a lot of fathoms. It is. I actually, I actually worked it out years ago, and then had to, I did it quickly this morning, and this is worse than what's west and east of Java. Is it? Because In terms 20, of exaggerating yeah. and being wrong about something, it feels yeah, 20, wrong. Twenty thousand fathoms is actually twenty-two point seven miles, and the deepest part of the ocean is only seven miles. So they needed to do themselves some math. Plus, the beast from twenty thousand fathoms doesn't come from under the ocean, does it? Or does it? Oh, it, it yeah, comes from the Arctic. the Arctic. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a dinosaur that comes from the Arctic. That spoiler alert for Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, but we are going to spoil like literally all the big moments of these movies. Um, they reused the sets from Rob's favorite the thing from Another World, basically. And one of the things I really dig about, although again, a, a, a sort of reptilian creature coming from the Arctic seems ridiculous. Um, that sequence you don't where you don't even really see the thing hardly at all, just a tease of it really. Uh, the opening sequence in the Arctic is always that always feels dangerous and isolated and alone, and I think they use that to really really good effect. I think you wait. I think this is one where you wait half the movie for the thing to sh really show up again and do something. So it's the scientist couple basically hunting this thing down, you know, as it ramp does its little rampages, and they have to be pretty good. And it, uh, memory serves. The leading man and woman in this film are, are uh, I saw, I've been stealing Joel's words, but a winning team. Yeah, it was Kenneth Toby. Winning. He was in, you know, he was in, you know, it from another from another world. Yeah, world. and and um, it came from beneath the sea. He's a good actor, actually. I think. Yeah, for this kind of thing, he's quite good. That would be my yeah. opinion as well. So, but you guys, I'll let you take it from there. That you know what. What do you like about the beginning of it, or what do you like as it gets going? Well, or the one of beast my favorite itself? things is, you know, I love I love movies that have like some secret government plan went awry. Like this yeah. film was based around something that was called Operation Experiment. 
<laughs> they couldn't even be bothered to think of a name. We're going to set off a nuclear device in the Antarctic. Let's call it Operation Experiment. Brilliant. Done. Stop. Get the letterhead. Print it. So that's kind of my point, though, to say shit like that with a straight face and to yeah. be selling that throughout the movie is it's not as easy as it sounds. And they, you know, this film's it does a pretty good job of that. You spend a lot of time with these people tracing down these incidents on a map and the movie does a good job of building suspense whilst holding the monster back till the last second. And then to be fair, and you have to, eventually you've got to get monster mayhem for real. And if you, cause if you don't, the whole thing will be a total disappointment. And when it comes out of the ocean or comes out of actually New York Harbor or wherever it shows up, <clears throat> Somebody pointed out that the Roland Emmerich, Dean Devlin, uh, Godzilla remake is actually a remake of this film because yeah. it, it really actually follows the beats, the story yeah. beats and the disaster path of this movie more than any sort of Godzilla movie. When did Godzilla come out? It was 1954, so a year after yeah. this. Interesting. And it was yeah, the, the same thing. This, this is what... Because, yeah, Godzilla in Japan, they essentially said they saw a beast from 20,000 Fathom and said, We're, we need to make one of those. And then they yeah. did. They went with guy in suit. And, yeah. Uh, and Which so. is still the popular method of making Godzilla movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but um, uh, I like it because they also brought into the fact that, you know, when they wounded this thing, people got sick because yeah. there was something in the blood. And it was yeah. a whole different disaster upon disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that too. Extra depth to the movie, I think. Yeah, and and kind of went along with the. It, although they don't, it's not as explicit here as it was in Godzilla, as you'd imagine. It, it it's that I that I that hidden terror of the nuclear threat is sort of built into that. Like this thing, even yeah. when you, yeah, even when you do this or that, the people still sort of drop over dead or whatever, even if they're not getting smashed by the monster. It's, that's creepy, and then they got to come up with a plan to take it out. and And the creature's really pretty cool in this, actually. They're and the planning scenes are well done, I think, and in a way that they're as good as anything you would see today, like in Geostorm or something like that, where they when they're sitting around talking, they're pretty, they're decent enough. It, in this movie, I guess the difference is that it, the stuff they do super doesn't work very well. And this is the one where at the end he gets all like tangled up in a roller coaster. Is that right? They're at Coney Island or someplace. Yep. When they finally catch him, that just that idea visually is really really powerful, and I think makes the sort of final showdown in this movie really neat. I don't know why, but the him in a in an amusement park, you know, with the military sort of shooting him down and stuff. It's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. It's a cool monster for sure. There, there's a couple of things on this one. Uh, and he's screaming, besides... and that monster. This monster is pissed off. That's another difference. It's not he. You shooting at it, and he gets mad and just starts wiping stuff out. Like you, his emotions. You can feel they're not all like that. Sometimes they're. Like our very next monster, I guess I'll save my critique of that for when we get there. But he gets pissed, right? I'm not imagining that. Yeah, he like fights back. Yep. A uh, couple of things with this one. Uh, that I love that Kenneth Toby was in it from Thing from Another World, which was part of uh, an upcoming double feature. 
at some point. And then the other film for that double feature, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, King Donovan is in that, and he's also yeah. in this. So that was kind of like, as I was rewatching, I'm like, hey, those guys. So they're all making um, the rounds, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is sort of credited as uh, based on a short story by Ray Bradbury, but that's not really true. Uh, Ray Bradbury was on set um, visiting uh, Harryhausen, and he's like, oh, I have a this scene you're doing at a lighthouse. I have a, I published a story last year that's kind of similar to that. So, you know, he heard like a week later, they, they contact him to buy the rights to that story. Uh, probably just, so they wouldn't be sued just later. Just be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause originally, according to IMDB here, that was originally called monster from the sea. Yep. And so then and they went, well, the Ray, course. yeah, Ray is saying we can go deeper. Let's go 20,000 fathoms. It does um, come up from the sea when it finally attacks, but it's from the Arctic. It's weird. Yeah. It's really weird when I sat down to watch it again after all these years to, to, cause I'd forgotten really everything about it except the basic premise. And, oh, this is different. I forgot about this. He's yep. from Operation Experiment. I forgot about oh, that good already. Old so, yeah. Oh my god, Operation Experiment. But that's I, re I really think those scenes <laughs> up in the Arctic are are really effective. I agree. Well, I really I, agree. I, great I, sets. Yep. I like that. Well, they the... stole the sets from a different movie, right? So right. they should be good. That was the. Uh, it, it reminds me. Um, Operation Experiment reminds me of when Ryan and I were considering doing this show. Uh, we were calling it. Well, let's call it um uh podcast movies <laughs> yeah uh, that was our working title and then we changed it to the much more uh it, we brainstormed when we came up with the movie show um <laughs> after anyway, many many weeks of yeah many weeks of yeah we, out there. thousands of dollars in research <laughs> and focus groups um yeah nearly bankrupted us apart from all other all the other crap that came out at the same time is they actually got people who could act yeah and the script wasn't that bad i mean it was kind of like cutting edge of what what filtered down through the media which was a lot slower back then is the fact that you know using a using a, a nuclear isotope fired into a rotor into a big monster would slowly kill it and kill the contagion which it does, because that's how chemotherapy works. So, you know, it was kind of, yes, get some science in it. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yep, as ludicrous as it is and how far yeah. off the 20,000 fathoms are, there's it. they gave it some thought, and you, you appreciate yeah. that, definitely. I, it's um, one of my favorite films on the list, I think. It's definitely a top five for me. Yeah. Um, and and going off of what Matt said, I, yeah, I mean, I, I saw an interview and uh, with Harryhausen, and he was, you know, one of the things he says is he really admires and he thanks the actors in these films, you know, because again, they're they're reacting to nothing; they're reacting to a pole with a with uh you know with a with a something on it that say here's where the head is this is where you're going to want to look at and be afraid and he give you know he he it's not like he was like yeah screw the actors it's all about my effects uh he actually you know he he did appreciate that the actors were 
doing what they could, you know, to, to try to, to try to help sell the thing. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's a big part of the special effects. It makes a huge difference in this one in particular, because Mm -hmm. literally the first half of the movie, there's no monster to act off of. It's, it, it, it's the plot is driven by this investigation where our heroes are always one step behind the incidents. And that works actually it works great because there's care given to that part of the storytelling and, and, mm-hmm. and it, it, it is a good one. I don't know if it's one of my favorites. I don't know that the monster mm-hmm. movies in general are my favorites, but, but I, I liked it. I was drawn along by this one more than some of the other ones for sure. 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 Yeah. Uh, they're, well, they're, all right, well, they let's do something interesting uh, when they don't have the monster yet to show mm-hmm. that uh, shark and octopus fight. Mm. Yep. That was that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I bet that was interesting to, to viewers. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Back then. That, yeah. yeah. That was neat. It, yeah. It, it was a bit of a let's stop and do this for a bit, but the, it's yeah. still it still is cool. Like any there's a, these movies are filled with that. As a matter of fact, they get to that point. They they started out whereas here's the effect and this is what the movie is. And then they started as they started planning them, they're like we want to try all these different things throughout at different times. And, and then we'll build the plot around that. And I think, and then I think by, by the time he hung up his spurs for good, you had the ultimate, like here's 19 different things. And we're going to go from thing to thing to thing and experience them. And I think, I think the movies work better a little bit that way, but because these, these, the big lumbering monster comes to get you. There are a lot of those. I don't know if this is, best one but the monster is really really cool so that's a perfect uh that's a perfect segue into our next film um you know the the shark fight uh and uh and of course when we talk about octopuses uh of course we're going to be talking uh you know it, it harkens back to tentacole or tentacles but that's not the movie we're talking about we are going to be talking about it came from beneath the sea 1955's It Came From Beneath the Sea. It is a radioactive octopus. Th- those are the worst kind, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my opinion. That's yeah. my opinion. If you take one and then you make it like as big as a, a skyscraper and and make it radioactive, you got some real mm-hmm. problems, definitely. And that's the premise of this thing. Indeed, yeah. yeah. You put Ken and Toby in a movie, people are going to die. Yeah. <laughs> the dude with bad luck. <laughs> Kenneth, yeah, uh, uh, yep, Ken, Kenneth Toby, yeah, uh, yeah, he's Kenneth Toby's back and he's brought hell with him. Um, we have, yeah, so we have a radioactive octopus. Um, it's attacking the Pacific coastline. Uh, really, really does not like San Francisco. Nope. Um, has big old issues with Bridget with the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, so, um, yeah, and we have, um, uh, this is an octopus uh, with only six legs. Uh, Harry Kauthausen called it a sextopus. Sextopus, um, yeah, sextopus. two less legs to. Uh, or I can't remember. There's a comedian who, in um, when she talks about Little Mermaid, she calls it an incorrect octopus, <laughs> which I always <laughs> liked. Yes, at the end, she turns into an incorrect octopus. Instead of a sectopus, which makes me laugh a lot every time I hear it. And every time I see that movie now, I think about that. Um, not to go back to Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, but 
That was directed by Eugene Lurie, who later directed the Willis O'Brien similar giant beast attacks movie, um, the giant behemoth, which I always think is a great title. And he also did the effects for the movie we talked about the last time we had Maz here. He went from being a director of a, of these effects movies to being the to being the effects guy, which just shows you that that's the way you graduate through these types of movies. You go from being the director to being the effects director and leaving actually having to direct the movie behind, which I think is kind of funny. He was the effects director for uh, Krakatoa East of Java, so, but he, he didn't bother himself with actually directing that movie, but was the driving force behind much of it more than Bernie Kowalski was, who actually directed the thing, the musical numbers and such. Um, I don't remember who directed this one. It came from beneath the sea. It came from beneath the sea. It was directed by the Robert Gordon. Ah, yeah, I get all the Douglases yeah. and the Gordons mixed up from this era, but yeah. Rob, you got anything to say about him? No. Nothing really. Yeah, just so poor Robert Gordon's just the guy. But it's it's worth pointing out who directed the movies because sometimes it. It leads you someplace else. So where's this octopus come from? The only thing I really remember about this, I remember obviously the big final attack in the city and the, mm -hmm. the, the I remember all the tentacle animation where they kind of come down and land and spool themselves out and knock stuff over. And it, the creature is very cool. And I mostly from this film, I remember the, that, submarine attack that's my favorite part of this i like any time you stick a bunch of poor people a bunch of poor scientists and stuff in a tiny little mini sub and you send them somewhere like i always feel that's to me that it's claustrophobic and it's scary and dark and i like i especially like that in this case the scientist is like he knows what to do and what not to do and yet when they kind of don't listen to him uh, that's when the 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 it gets them. And spoiler mm -hmm. alert for it, it came from beneath the sea, but but I don't really remember the plot of this one. I remember the beach scene to, where they where they see the devastation that it brought on, and that that's really heavy and you know really played for like some emotional heft, and I, that's surprising again for a film like this, in my opinion. So I like that too. One of the good things about this film is that you know, it's it's one of these films where they, they can be wrong in it. So when the, the submarine's on a test dive, it's a nuclear submarine and it gets half eaten by this octopus. So they limp back to Pearl Harbor, and they've got bits of octopus all over the back of the submarine. Yeah, 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 and yeah. there's scientists looking at it going, "Oh, it's a big ass octopus," and the and the U.S. Navy going, "It's not an octopus," and there's bits of octopus behind them. <laughs> <laughs> there are literally bits of octopus that, yeah, it is funny. It, it, the denial is thick. Yeah, but it, it, it was great because it was a great one of these movies where they go, we've got a plan, it's going to work, and it doesn't. And plan B doesn't work. And plan C or desperation, uh, our good hero, Kenneth, um, through sheer desperation, throws mm -hmm. a load of explosives at the side of the thing and kills it. Because he's done that, he asks this top science, scientist aide, who just happens to be a good-looking woman, to marry him and she says yes uh, I love a happy ending I gotta say so I do appreciate that <laughs> you can get from that if you're 11 years old watching this movie going I gotta blow up a monster to get me a girl <laughs> <laughs> for sure 
Um, let's see. Hold on. I was going to say, uh, I forgot I about all the back. submarine scenes at the beginning. They're really well done too. I mean, they, yeah. yeah, it really feels like they did all that stuff. That's how the movie starts as a military submarine film before the giant monster appears and causes yeah. them troubles. It feels, it feels like there was a budget cut, uh, between these two films. So, uh, yeah, maybe comes, uh, very shows up very sporadically and then i don't think it's uh harryhausen's best creation because it doesn't seem to have a set form you just get these weird tentacles correct you rarely ever see the thing if ever see it you see bits and pieces of it doing stuff yeah right and they don't seem like they could be attached to the same thing at times yeah uh, agreed how they're popping up agreed but what i did like I, i do appreciate that like there was an attempt to like give the tentacles sort of that personality, like almost yeah. like it's looking around for something as it's, you know, like I kind of, when it comes up. And, so it's almost like there's almost like there's a personality or almost right. like there's a, a, a head uh, to the, to the tentacle. But um, the cool thing about it come from beneath the sea is that it, 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 it's, it's lack of personality actually works for it. The violence is weird and random in this you know what is going to happen sort of way which i sort of dig it's very much an animal just doing stuff rather than something who's coming to get you or getting pissed at you for shooting at it and i i actually think that's in a lot of ways i mean i'll take either kind but my i like a lot of variety of movie monsters but i like that random it just you know you it's just it's thing just shouldn't be here and it is and that's what's causing us problems rather than it's just attacking us because because uh, we shot a bunch of missiles at it or something. But I agree. It's it it isn't there's not a fully formed creature idea here. And I don't know if that's budget or I would guess it's mostly time. They probably ran out of time the, just to get the tentacles to do anything. Yeah. In yeah. this case is it's a lot of work. It was an ambitious idea to do that kind of creature that moved in that sort of three-dimensional way in a way that uh, the beast from 20,000 Fathoms just kind of comes at you in, in a way like a guy would, which is, I think, a little easier to pull off. Would be my uh, guess. I, want a quick, I do a quick want to point out uh, Mr. Kenneth Toby, um, who is kind of like the Sean Bean or maybe Ted McGinley of, of these movies where <laughs> when he appears, uh, nothing good can come of it. Uh, but from, you know, clearly from uh 20 beast from 20,000 fathoms he was demoted cuz he was a uh <laughs> he was a colonel uh in uh beast from 20,000 fathoms and he was uh he was only a commander yes. yeah that, that's a budget so, cut yeah yeah budget, budget cut and cards. and also it's nice to see that someone was held a little bit accountable um <laughs> you know like dude you know i know you did your best but yeah so slight reduction after, in rank and you're in the navy now yeah. yeah, and you're in the yeah. They're like, mm, why don't we career move change? Over? Career you know, you change. gotta take a step yeah. back. And... We're moving uh, into the other coast of the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, and then disaster See finds him there. Destroy too. that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wonder uh, if the Golden Gate Bridge is is sort of like a nod to King Kong, where he's going to go up to the Empire State's Building. We're going to have something like that, a recognizable landmark. Yeah, you gotta you gotta think that that's yeah that that's part of it is like we gotta and that that's part of how you draw the audience in too is you give them I mean we still see it today. You give that that's why you know the 
Empire State Building gets blown up all the time or the White House, you know, you got to give and I some sort of iconic building something for the audience to go, oh my God, that's actually, you know, it's like it's why it's why a meteor uh is going to wipe it's it's gonna somehow uh of all of the places in the planet it can land, it's gonna somehow find its way to Central Park in Manhattan. Um so uh all right, let's move on because uh we have we've had a couple beasties here. But now, now we're going to move on to some aliens in 1956's Earth versus the Flying Saucer. Right there in the title, Conflict. Flying Saucers. The mm-hmm. more than one. Yep. You knew more you than one. Fun. Well, yeah, finally some aliens decide, you know, maybe we shouldn't just go by ourselves. I hate these aliens in this movie. I hate them so much. They're so full of themselves maybe is the right thing has something about them that pisses me off and because they don't when they start talking to us they don't they don't they, they actually seem kind of reasonable but it just makes me hate them more and i'm really super happy when they get defeated at the end but this movie again this central it's it's it are these are these like they're about to be married, this couple, or just got married. Just, just got, got married. married. They're newlyweds. Okay, so they're pretty cool. There's pretty cool car chases. Um, I think there's whenever you see like somebody. I mean, we see a lot of these pop up this way, but it feels to me like this one, as much as any. Whenever you see a bunch of kids watching an old black and white science fiction movie in another movie, it's this thing that you see with the silvery sort of spinny flying saucers, you know, zooming yeah. across uh, to Washington D.C. Right, that we see a lot in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So. But this is one of my least favorites because I think the threat is weird and cerebral. And I think I want – i if it were my movie, <laughs> we shouldn't do this on the show. But I just think the flying saucers would be like, what are they? What's happening? I think that's scarier. I think once they start explaining everything to us I, – I, granted, it gets me riled up and makes me dislike them. So that's – in that way it works. But it's annoying that they – I don't know. There's something about aliens who are all like, hello, we are 10 million more times intelligent than you, and we can do everything better than you, and we're here for whatever reason. Like, I just, I always, I hate being talked down to by invading aliens, and I think these guys are the worst at that. Yeah, that kind of annoyed me, too. But you knew this film was going to be on a higher level because he was in charge of satellites in space. Yeah. And he his operation or his project was given the title Skyhook, which actually made sense. He was in charge of Project Skyhook. As opposed Project. to Operation Satellite. Operation Experience. Yeah. Oper- operation, operation Floaty Thing. Yeah. So you knew they were in trouble. Yep. This film is also a perfect example of why one of my greatest things I love to do to waste time is to watch a classic sci-fi movie. I cannot get my wife to watch it because the women in these films are so freaking weak. Yeah, you know his wife loses a mind over no particular reason, and everyone's going, "Oh, calm down." Just she goes, "Yes, yeah, try that with anyone." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right; these say- aliens are bad. They're completely unfeeling. I think um, unempathetic, empathetic—that's a word. 
they have no feeling for anything. So they just say, "Oh, we're going to we're dying. We're taking over your planet." Yeah, they have no. They're they're incapable of empathy. That is true, and that is kind of scary. But it's a little esoteric for a monster movie, in my opinion. Which mm -hmm. ultimately, this still is. Um, but I do like that. I guess I like the debate. They are, you know, they and and I think the. Other than the poor uh, leading lady losing her mind, I think the scientists and stuff, they try and do the right thing in this one. They, you know, I appreciate that. I do like the flying saucer effects, but they, they're they very repetitive. And, and There is a great, I mean, I just recently re-watched re this movie, and I just love it when the scientists are going, I think they're protected by solidified electricity, and everyone nods, like, that's a thing. <laughs> solidified electricity, that is correct. Yeah. So, that that must be. Right. so it's electricity, but it's solidified. <clears throat> Good point. That's a great observation. Well done, well done. Hubbub, hubbub. Let me get. Let me put that in my pipe. Yeah. This, this um, one, more than all the others, seemed like the silliest. <laughs> it just and they're lost. all really silly so when you say right. that that's saying something but some of them you know they're they're, they're silly to extent but you kind of can get sucked into them this one it's just like the first time you see the flying saucers really there it's following them in their car on the way back from their honeymoon or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah well it Why? is the the, 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 foot, the the car they decide to chase happens to have yeah. The country's leaders, leading scientist and leader <laughs> it, it, of projects yeah, it, in driving it. home from his honeymoon. Yes. Uh, um, um, odds. Who directed this odds? film, Joel? Yeah. Uh, this one, of course, was directed by uh, Fred F. Sears. Yeah, Fred Sears. Okay, so that's what we didn't need to bring him up into this. But... <laughs> I will say that the the another thing I really liked about this one is the science station and the the where they are the building that they're in and the way they shoot it and stuff and I really like the the government the military guy assigned to them is super cool he's like a military guy but he's he's not just a babysitter the way they are sometimes in this like he he gets won over to the cause and is willing to listen to reason and stuff. And I always think that's kind of neat. Mm -hmm. So, but as we all, as we all know, there's nothing worse than a smug alien. Um, they're uh, really, that's a good term for them. They're so smug and they're well, so. The, the aliens in V when you were playing the special effects for, they were smug. That's, they were that yeah. was their downfall as well. Yeah, but they, they had the up. they had the emotional wherewithal to at least appeal to the different sides of our natures and stuff. These guys are just like, this is why are they even talking to us at all? If this is all they're going to do, that's true. Yeah, they're so smug that <clears throat> even when they're like someone wants peace, they just are like Pretenama. No. And uh, so, uh, all right, let's move on to uh, th this is when uh, we're, our next film is when Harryhausen met Schneer um, and uh, the, the and a, and a movie marriage was born uh, 20 million miles to Earth, 20 million miles to Earth. It's <laughs> a math check uh, out on that one. Yeah, I got to look at the math on that one, too. Um Especially <laughs> since we don't join in except in the last 200 or so miles uh, where the go. movie starts. But not a bad, I like it. That's a fun, I mean, Matt, Matt, you know these movies better than anybody else. These in particular, these sci-fi ones, 
with yeah. Earth somewhere in the title. Um, that's a pretty good title for a film like this, isn't it? It is. It is. E- even yeah. though it's another just guy a like bipedal monster movie, essentially in the end, it it I like the idea and I love the shots of the sinking spaceship at yeah. the beginning and those sequences. Like they're not okay. They're not the best actually, but they, I really think they're done pretty well and, and pulled off pretty well in the film. And yeah, that's the are. part of the story I'm sort of the most interested in. It was interesting to me because if you think about, you know, when, when they were buying up the, the Mercury, the, the Gemini and the, the Apollo capsules and they were coming back, the, the U S Navy was always there to pick them up. This thing, which was a, a U.S. spaceship to Venus, just crashes into the Mediterranean. There's no military vessel in sight, and all no. these local fishermen. These just got, yeah, exactly. These Greek fishermen are they Greek? That's where this movie mostly takes place, Italian, right? Huh? They're Italian. No, it's Italian. Italian. It's Italy. That's Sicily. Right. Yeah. Either way. Uh, yeah. Um, and I hate to correct you, but in America, dude, we say Gemini. I know that's oh okay. <laughs> um, I will real quick. The map. I know I'm correcting does... you with something that's completely incorrect, but that's sort of the joy of it, unfortunately. Um, real uh, real quick, the math does sort of check out. It, it the distance from Earth to Venus is about 23 million miles. So, oh, hey. so well, that, well done, Schneer. That says it all because there is some very scientifically good stuff in this movie I was going to bring up, and now I feel like I bet I can. I, you I, absolutely yes, can, yeah. Why not? Science away, yes. Uh, fun thing about this movie, let's just start with the monster, and then we'll we'll get into the science for sure. But the cool thing about in this movie is that the monster starts out as this little cute thing, this little basically pet that you can have, and okay. grows into this thing <laughs> that destroys Rome by the end of the thing. And that's... That's fun, and it it that gives him something new to do to show the development of this because I believe this is really is other than the spaceship and a couple of other things. This really is a singular monster film again, and it was it's not Italy shot in uh you know Southern California. I don't think I think they shot this over there, and that sense of an exotic locale is very much part of the movie, which is. Which is really, really neat and would serve these guys really, really well going forward too. Um, and what's this what's this Venetian alien's name? He's got a very specific name. They don't say it in the movie, but uh, the the Ymir? The Ymir, thank you. I wanted to get that on the record too, because yep. Y M I R everybody. Uh, if you want to Google that later, uh, the Ymir. Ymir. You can share Ymir gifts with your friends uh, you all go. over social media. You can uh, collect Ymir uh, photographs and like do a little sort of Ymir uh, photograph collection. You might even buy a little model Ymir yourself. It's a very mm-hmm. iconic uh, Harryhausen creature. Yes. That is nevertheless, I don't know, I don't, the, well, science, Maz, what do you got to say about this? Well, it, you know, it starts off with, you know, um, they get two astronauts out of this ship before it sinks. One of them's dying of a disease that killed the rest of the crew. Um, the, the commander's perfectly safe, and apparently so is everyone else on Earth, because there's no more mention of it. But um, when the creature escapes after it you know, after growing for a day and, and then hides out, um, they find out that 
it, it runs into a farm and eats lots of bags of sulfur. And when I first saw this film, I thought, why has why a farm got sulfur in bags? <laughs> but it's brilliant because it is actually a fertilizer. It allows plants to grow chlorophyll and to metabolize nitrogen. And that's how the, the, the military decided to use bags of sulfur to bait this thing. So it was really kind of cool. They worked out that this thing was from Venus, and Venus is supposed to be volcanic. So, of course, it's going to love to sulfur. To say the least. The was on the farm. They kind of, I think they knew enough to know that. And even today, we're going back to organic farming. Instead of fertilizers that are sulfur-based, they're just buying sulfur compounds to spray on the soil in a less amount. And it's, it's, it's better for the soil. So... There's a lot of there was a lot of agriculture, real life agricultural science involved in this movie. And to get back to Monster Mayhem, the the duel, the showdown in the old barn is actually yeah. really yes. as it, it's a it, it, that more than I think the final it, finale in London. That is the that's where this stop motion stuff interacting with people in very believable ways really takes a, a giant leap forward in technique here in this film. But what yeah. I notice about this as well, um, if we think about the films we just talked about, but, you know, they capture this thing with an electric net. They were using electricity in the first couple of films that sort of, and they put this electric net over the Golden Gate Bridge to keep the alien off it. And was then of course solidified electricity? No, uh, no, this was just real, real <laughs> electricity. Okay. Just, and of course, just wanted to make sure. It's one of these films. This film has a false end because they captured they got this they got this um creature and they keep they're constantly stunning it with electricity so it goes inactive. So they got it safely in the zoo and everyone's breathing a sigh of relief, and then there's a power cut. <laughs> <laughs> And then this thing wakes up that. and goes freaking mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, you 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 think that people would would know that you know you think that people would learn. But even bringing it to a zoo, that's inspired visually. <laughs> it, it it brings all kinds of cool. Well, yeah, there's a fight with an yeah. elephant, which is actually yep. kind of considering yeah. if we're talking about the special effects, a big ass alien, and an duking it out with an elephant. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, the Fantastic. elephant's on our side, you guys. It's too bad what happens to that it's elephant. True. But um, <laughs> all right, let's let's keep let's keep the show rolling right and, on. And, and uh, we... it goes gets back mm -hmm. to beast, uh, or it came from beneath the sea, where you just have all this chaos, all these people running around, right. on all it, uh, actually on location in in Italy, and it, and it has a really worthy big finale, I think, before they finally take the emir down. Yeah, I I think this creature is one of his best yeah. creations. Um, has a lot of personality to it. I agree with that. I think that its bipedal nature makes it feel more like a dude, which makes me like it less. I f I feel like it's somehow <laughs> less exotic for that reason. At yeah. one point, the middle point of the movie, he's like the size of a guy, and I'm like, well, you could have, you totally just could have done guy in a suit there, but of course that wouldn't have been the same. But mm -hmm. no, it wouldn't. But um, I, the Emir, the Emir, when you look him up online, as you're, I'm sure you're doing right now on your phones and such, he is iconic. He's iconic Harryhausen creation. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. yep. Uh, and we have another iconic uh, Harryhausen uh, character in this in this next film, and it is a world that Harry. It's the first time we go to this world. Oh yeah. Uh, 
but it, he, you know, it is a world that Harryhausen and Schneer and uh, and Nathan Juran, who the director, they will go to many times. It is the world of Sinbad. Now, this is the first of the Sinbad movies, but it is the seventh voyage of Sinbad. We we joined Sinbad's voyages already in already progress. in progress, correct. and I don't want to say not completely, but almost completely from here to the end that we are, are now only doing quest movies these are all hero quests basically and for my money although you know with respect to uh the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms and other really cool things for my money these are the funnest ones because they're all that's traveling to unknown lands and getting some MacGuffins from some hidden fortress or you know all that stuff it allows him to be let off the leash in what his creations are. He, he could just, because if you're on a beach on an uncharted island or whatever, you can just have some weird things show up and it can be whatever you want it to be. And I feel like the imagination is sort of, this is the film where that just is where you see that sort of in development. That said, Having seen the 70s Sinbad films and never having seen this until I sat down to watch them all, I was super bummed out about this movie. Like, this wasn't as cool as I wanted it to be at all. Like, the creatures weren't as cool. Lots of really cool things done with scale. Yeah. But I find that his scale effects mire him in, in some way into something like... I, I what. When I want scale to be demonstrated, I sort of want them to pull the camera back and see the little guys biting the big thing, as opposed to close-ups of a guy with an even bigger thing behind him. Like, there's something about... There's a whole movie coming up on this list that we're going to barely talk about because we're running out of time, and it's my least favorite it is. But that's all it is, is scale effects. It's how do we make a normal thing look a lot bigger than a bunch of little things that are also in real life normal. And there's a lot of that in this movie, which I think wears it down. And although I do like, I like, I like Sinbad's confidence and cockiness, you know, he just, I like the, I like the character that he just barrels into danger and that he gives a crap about the people that sail under his banner. Um... But the tiny princess and the overuse of, of, I don't know what we're calling, perspective effects, I guess, forced perspective yeah. things, was, I, I was sort of dulled out by that. But I don't know. Do anyone love Seventh Voyage of Sinbad? It's a really, really popular one. It's considered well, the best Sinbad movie by a wide margin, but I think that's just because it's first. Um, I don't know. I think I'd probably like this Sinbad the best. Yeah. Uh, me, it, it's a tie with the second one, I think. Uh, I did like the skeleton battle. It was sort of a precursor to uh, Jason the Argonauts' famous scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a there's a shot in this where the bridge falls down, and a genie creates a a rope for him, and he says, "Hold on, princess," and they swing across, and it looks like a shot out of Star Wars. Like, I, I wonder if George Lucas did look at that shot and like, yeah, I want that in my film. He's certainly <laughs> he's certainly aware of it. I admit, and we can talk to Maz about the scientific, just ignoring the scientific 
like technique of shrinking a princess down to the size of a Barbie doll. But the fact that they carry her around in this little golden tin can thing, and she's getting banged around in all these battles and stuff, I always kind of thought, that's probably not something that would be survivable by a person of that size. But of course, even thinking that is fun because you're... You're contemplating these weird, impossible yeah. things in any sort of realistic way is kind of like the movie doing its job. I forgot about that swinging over the ravine or whatever. That that's a really, really neat sequence. And the genie is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else want to defend uh, Sinbad here? And the, the, the on I do like uh, Kerwin Matthews as the lead. He's the lead in this and. The Three Worlds of Gulliver, which will be next. Um, yeah. And I, I liked him. Well, let's he's, move he's on a, to, uh, yeah. the, to, the, to Gulliver. Uh, the, yeah, the, th- the Three Worlds of Gulliver. Um, yeah, classic Gulliver. Is that part travels. of the plot, the Three Worlds? Am I just forgetting, or is it just that's just the thing to name the thing? I no, think he it's goes, just the thing he to travels, name he goes to three different places. Yeah, right, right, right. Yep. Yeah, it's instead of call, calling it Gulliver's Travels, that to set themselves apart, they decided to go with the three worlds of Gulliver. I actually really liked this movie. Did you? Yeah, but not for the special effects necessarily. I think they get a lot you, of you liked uh, it for the plot. Swift's. Well, I get, think they get a lot of Swift satire. Yeah, and 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 do cover that in a pretty effective way. Um, and again, I, I like this Kerwin Matthews guy. He he's kind of a winning, yeah, a winning guy. He's clean cut. He's he's not edgy or anything, but he's very solid. I think he's great. This oh. movie with the early again, the early I'm big and you're small, and let's just demonstrate that nine different ways before we move on to the next thing. Like this movie tried my patience at the beginning, but I do like <laughs> I actually do like Kerwin Matthews. Um, and I get what you're saying. It I shouldn't poo-poo the satire just because, I, to me, it's watered down. and Because the fact that it's there at all actually is pretty accomplished. It's not needed for a film of this type. Right. Even though they're taking Swift's ideas, like their attempt to get that in there, I, I should be more appreciative of that, I think. Next time I watch it, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I, I, I really watch this not as a special effects movie, but as the story of, of as a Gulliver. as a and, goofy and, as a goofy comedy with with a little bit of yeah. movie magic in it basically yeah I, yeah i saw this film years and years ago and i then reread the book and then i i remember thinking to myself you know this film was made in the 60s it's it's quite a bold move to take a dumbass book written by an irish satirist or satirist depending on how you americans pronounce that <laughs> And one of these countries, and you can tell the guy was Irish and just took the piss out of everything. Of course, one of the countries, he went, one of the lands he went to, they were having a war over, what was it, the best way to crack open a boiled egg? Yes. Yep. You know, so, so to make any film over such a ludicrous <laughs> book, I just thought, I salute them. I think, you know what? And to make it with 1960s special effects, I thought, well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do say satirist in America, by the way, just, you know, oh, well, just there you to go. defend us for a second. <laughs> Maybe not mm-hmm. every one of us say it that way, but the, most of us do. But those who know what the word yeah. means. So. Right. I think in the South, they say smartass. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. Next. 
Next up is, uh, do you guys remember um, all the stories uh, of um, from the Civil War of all these prisoners escaping stockades via hot air balloon? Oh, yeah. Um, and then <laughs> getting sure. lost it's, over it's the a well-worn genre. That what? Yeah, I mean, so well, so this is another one of those. Really, it was uh, like the most geographically challenged film on this list, this and that is, is saying is, something for sure. Yeah, yeah. In the Civil War, the Civil War, Union soldiers. That means that they they were prisoners in the South in the Civil War. Escape there the stockade in a hot air balloon. Get swept up in and, a storm. And a storm hits them, and like by morning, they're on. Oh no, a, no, it's five days. It's like sorry, five, five days. Sorry, five days. days. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yes. Yeah, so time wise, it it probably still, works out. Still bonkers. No, it doesn't <laughs> yep. at all. But that. No, ne- but it nevertheless, doesn't. at least it's not later that day or something. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. They are. They are. They are swept up, and they land on a strange Pacific island. How strange? Oh, giant horn, giant wasp strange, you say? I think you do. Yes, that is that is the kind of strangeness we are talking about on 1961's Mysterious Island. And giant crab strange. Mysterious Island, of course, is written by Jules Verne. In my yeah. opinion, Jules Verne's sort of the star of the show on this one. I like this. Of course, Colorful is just not my kind of movie. It's just too winky and too whatever, but... I love this movie. As stupid as it was, I love that it starts out in the Civil War, and I love the actual adventure escape. Like, I just love all that, and I love fighting giant crabs with sticks, and I love that uh, Captain Nemo shows up at the end, and I love that they sort of, to the degree they could, without getting taken to court, like, recreated his ship and stuff from the... 20,000 Fathoms uh, film. Yeah, I mean, I like that they just wanted you to know that. They didn't want to steal that. They just wanted you to know that was the same guy in movie language. And I thought it's really well tiptoed around in in that way. And I love, more than anything, Wasp. That Wasp is scary. That's scary stuff to me. I don't know why. This is the first one where I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get crushed by like a falling building or a big foot or something. But... I really don't want to go in a giant wasp's den and like go on a mission. Like that's just horrifying to me in a really, really real way. I don't want my neck snapped off by a giant crab's little pier- pincers. That's fair. So I, I don't know if it makes it better, Ryan, but it's a bee, not a wasp. Is it a bee? You feel any better? Well, it's making honey. I suppose it's like a hornet-looking bee. Yeah, it's you're a right. Po- it's a it's it's a pollinator. I mean, it does not yeah. look like a bee. Um, but yes, it is. I guess technically it could be. Uh, Either way, you, it's you, an you insect that can hurt you, and it's bigger than you. That's yeah, terrifying to me. I'm I'm scared of insects. I don't like being stung. Uh, I have a story that explains why, an origin story for why I, I can't stand oh. wasps in, in particular. I will save that and for another And it's also time. why, it is also, it's Ryan's, uh, uh, it's his villain origin story too. It's why he became a villain. <laughs> um, but my favorite thing, because I like the ending. I love the, when they're out at the ocean and the ship and stuff. Like I like everything. My favorite thing about this movie by far is that the ladies that they come across on the island, once they're safe under sort of a military escort and they all come together as a group, immediately start domesticating everything. 
They create this happy home. They're happy homemakers who make this cave into like a light, nice suburban place to come home after a hard day work of fighting crabs to sit down and have some dinner and kick your feet up. Like there's something so super 60s about that. And I also think those the women, the actresses are really, really great and they bring something they bring something normal in a like in a way that's ludicrous, I admit, but that still like is worth fighting for for these guys other than just their basic survival. Like there's something magical about that to me. I guess that's the what they're riffing on there probably is um Swiss Family Robinson, who do the same thing, wash up on shore and basically make it, make it their dream home. And I always think that's a lot of stuff happens to him anyway. But I always think that's sort of an amazing thing because I wouldn't do that. I would just sit on the beach and cry till I starved to death. And I, I think that sort of we're gonna go. Life goes on, and I just <laughs> some about that is it's amazing uh, to me. So. <laughs> So I I have a question about the science. Uh, how does this balloon stay aloft for five days? There's no heater. Yeah, that's that's true. And it was it was um, this was just before the mom. Who were the French guys who actually first flew a balloon in seventeen something? It wasn't like you know it's yeah. And I, I I have seen this film. I believe at some point one of the guards, or one of the prisoners, and one of the guards says, "Hey, yeah, I can pilot a balloon. Can yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> That's handy." Well, well, the uh, Civil War was what eighteen sixty ish, something yeah. like that. So yeah, it was it was they've had a hundred years to perfect this. But you're right, there but was not no just anyone can fly a balloon. Aspect. Point point yeah. taken. That is yeah. fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, you, there was no ballast, so you couldn't go up or down. There was no bags to let the sand out or to go up or, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to vent off something. You're absolutely right. It is, well, you know, it's a, well, it's a Jules Verne science fiction book. Yep. Yeah. Now, what's so interesting it... is they approach these films as if we all know what people knew in the 1700s or 1800s. Like, we we wouldn't know that that couldn't possibly work. Because it's back then, it's sort of almost magical to us. Uh, but your audience is from the 1960s. We know that you need to heat the air. Who's the big bad creature at the end that we have the final showdown with? Because again, this is a vignette of things. Is it a, a sea creature? I can't even remember. Yeah, it's a sea. Yeah. It's a sea creature. It's kind of an octopusy, octopus looking, like a big squid, yeah, it's like another giant yeah. squid almost. Yeah, a squid, I think. yeah. yeah. So it's let down by the Nemo and and uh, the Jules Verne comparisons that it it just doesn't live up to the incredible Richard Fleischer, you know, uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Beneath the Sea. But it 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 it's an attempt at it's telling that fun. kind of thing, and I think a really really cool way. And I love the movie poster with the balloon going up and the guys all they're all like hanging off of it by like a. a at this weird angle. I don't know. It's such a dynamic yeah. and adventurous poster. Although mm-hmm. I always thought the poster sucked because it says, it says mysterious Island in this weird way. And then it says mysterious Island in this normal way. Like, why do you have the name on there twice for it? <laughs> and it's because some guy it's came a, along, obviously later yep. in the process saying, well, I can't even tell what it's called. Oh, there it is. They're not going to see that. Mm-hmm. Put it up there too. You know, it's, right. 
yep. kind of ruins it. But <laughs> this was one of my nice, favorites. They put it on I, twice. This was one of my favorites when I watched it. I really, really dug it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's, let's. You guys have uh, all seen. Time. I think we've all seen the crab on the beach fight. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. It, even out of context, I think that's one of the most famous stop motion sequences that you're ever going to see. And it, it yeah. is awesome in the film. Right. Um, so uh, sort of in the flavor of, of Sinbad, we're going to, you know, let's go to like the, the world of fantasy adventure. Uh, and um, we're going to go to a title that I can only say in the cadence of Josie and the Pussycats. Jason and the Argonauts, um, <laughs> 1963. Uh, yeah, and we have, um, yeah, it is the classic, the classic story. Jason, Medea, Argos, Zeus, everybody's in it. They're all showing up. We get the awesome, yeah, and we, and we, this, yeah, this is where we get the iconic uh, skeleton sword fight scene. Yeah. You got to wait um, a long time for that, though. Yeah, that is true, but it is. It is everything it's cracked up to be. Greatest stop motion sequence of all time, maybe. It's so, so good. And you don't have to wait the whole time to see some thing. We got some monsters and we got some really annoying, I don't know what they are, pterodactyls or vultures or something. Uh, I'm so happy when they get those things because they annoy the piss out of me. They all oh, they just come and take your food too. So they're not even like <laughs> nefarious or trying to take over the world or anything. But for me in this, the thing I wasn't expecting, because this is another one where you know you know about it. I hadn't seen this movie. Whatever reason it slipped by through the years. I'd seen bits and pieces and felt like I knew what it was. So in many ways seeing it at this point was disappointing. I'm like, well this isn't as good as it's, this is supposed to be the all-time classic one. But in some ways it wasn't that that old man of the ocean effect, the weight the water effect. Yeah. Holy Moses, that is cool. Really really cool. And I wish again, I wish there was a little more plot purpose in it other than we need to go from A to B and this thing is helping us or this thing is in our way, but I still thought that was amazing. I think the movie plot-wise is starts out great. I love the fights. I love the gods having their own stake in things. Like that's such a neat idea, and I like that it, the movie kind of starts out tragically in a way, which I think is it gives a, a lot of weight to it. And I like the location shooting again very much in this film. But and I love the ship and. I don't know. So I, I guess there is a lot that I love in it. I think the film gets bogged down in the whatever the city of seduction or wherever the whole last act takes place where you're like, I get what it that is. It's a curse or whatever, but I wish that was somewhere in the middle of the movie and not right up next to the end because I think it loses a lot of steam there. But Jason and the Argonauts stop motion sequences, man. As good as anything you'll ever see. So so good. Joel Joel was scared of those skeletons when he was a kid. I was, and I was, then he was uh, yeah. further cursed by his uh, young son being a totally obsessed with skeletons for a decade and change. Indeed, indeed. Uh, it's been a very. I mean, it's been a hard life. Uh, but yeah, the yeah Jason and the Argonauts. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Some some yeah. Again, some of the more iconic sequences. Uh, stop stop motion sequences. Um, yeah. So I I, I, I dig this movie. It was watching this one that, because uh, I, I sort of watched them out of order, rewatch or refresh myself on them. And it was when I was watching this one that I realized uh, HD, high definition, has not done these films 
<laughs> favors. Yes. I agree. You know, if, yep. if you think if you're watching this on a DVD on an old old CRT TV, yep. Yeah, the it the stuff because the, it's lower resolution, it the stuff show. blends together yes. better, much yes. much better. Yeah, that's yep. always been true. And now yep. that you're seeing it better than anyone ever saw it. I mean, if you watch this or was ever a, meant to see it. Or was <laughs> meant to see point. it. Like there are yeah. things they just knew you wouldn't notice. There were mat lines that you wouldn't care about yeah. when you watch them today. Yeah, the mix <laughs> it, it it is part of the it is part of the pitfalls, the main pitfall of watching these. But again, you got to buy into the fact that they're supposed to be cool and not Yeah. And, and I, not I think necessarily believable. I don't really think any the of these are believable anyway. 50s black and white films and then we get in these early color ones in the 60s yeah. you go along with yeah. that uh it gets a little harder as we get into the the late 70s when we're in the star wars era and and uh the 80s where it's like you know we've seen this done a lot better right uh at this like, point we've seen mm-hmm. tauntauns and we've seen all this stuff and it's like yeah the, that is, by, by comparison, very, very convincing. Of course, yeah. we always have to keep in mind that it, it, uh, it couldn't exist or wouldn't even have been attempted right. if it weren't for these guys. So. Yep. But right. Jason and the Argonauts, is a, it, what really helps it is it's a really great story. The, taking from the Greek myth and shooting it like it's an old biblical Greek epic at the beginning of the film, I think, gives it a lot of gravitas that some of, that the Sinbad films, in particular, which I also really love, don't have, frankly. They really are corny by comparison. And so yeah. this one, A Mysterious Island, I right next to each other, I think are big time winners on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is this is prime time. And we got to pick up the pace or there's no way we're going to get through the rest of these. So yeah, just, we're a little, just a little bit. Maz, you didn't say anything about Jason and the Argonauts. You seen it, I, right? You know what? I, I, I saw it a long time ago. I wasn't... I mean, yes, of course. The the I've seen the, the skeletal fight scene. I've never been a big fan of fantasy. You know, I like science fiction. I don't like... You uh, know, I, I never got uh, into the Greek myths. So, I could tell that you know. about you. There's no scientist mm-hmm. explaining shit in this movie, and that's what you didn't like. Yeah. All right, Doc. Uh, we know where you. you're coming from. I'm with you. One well, more thing. let's get One to thing let's, on Okay, real quick, and then we got to get to a Maz movie. is in this from uh, Curse of the Demon. Another double feature connection. Oh. Okay, move right. on. Well, there, there you go. All right, well, Matt, time. let's go back to the world of science fiction because, you Are know Are you how- sure that's where we're going? Well, kind of. I mean, we're going to H.G. Wells. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, while the world was obsessed with getting uh, the first men on the moon, H.G. Wells was thinking beyond that years before cheat. when he wanted to get first men in the moon. Yes. I love British sci-fi movies. They're ridiculous. <laughs> um, this... Um, this is the only Harryhausen film <laughs> shot in scope. It's shot in... It's a really widescreen movie, and so it's it's it has a glossy sort of um, actual, as opposed to a Saturday matinee movie, which Jason and the Argonauts is sort of the ultimate one. This one has this prestige, you know, everybody goes to the big movie house and gets dressed up and watches a film, and that that's a totally different feel of a film to them. Um, lots of victorian humor in the opening chapters um i think it's does it is it i've always this 
I shouldn't say it confused me because when I'm watching it, I follow it, but I have a hard time explaining it's it's told in flashback. Is that right? Well, this movie. It starts off in the present when the Americans land on the moon in the 1960s and they find the Union Jack and a note that says, we claim, we claim the moon for Queen Victoria. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then somebody explains all that to them. They, they investigate that. Okay, that's, and then it's, it's a person telling a story is what the movie they, ultimately is. Yeah, they is. find the last survivor of England's claim to the moon, and he tells the story. It's brilliant. You know what gets me? I've read the book. I've read the book as well, and it took me ages to make the connection. When they find the last survivor, he's living in, you know, his wife's dead. She went to the moon with him. Um, he's living in this retirement home. And bear in mind, a bunch of Americans come into this English retirement home. Yeah. It's called the Limes. As as in Limeys. Yes, I'm following you. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Uh, it's a very, uh, without going into all of them, it's a very punny film, actually. That's the tone of this thing. This one's really, really weird. I was captivated at the beginning, like seeing the actual moon mission and the, like, and the mystery yeah. and all this. Um, and I think this from a design standpoint, and like it's really hard with those wide angle lenses to do the stop motion work that he's doing in this. Like, I, I don't think people really realize the challenge of that um, technically. And I don't want to get into it, but it's, it's harder. It's why when even in 1981, when John Mormon made Excalibur or they deliberately, these masters of widescreen cinema deliberately shot on spherical lenses because the effects were so much easier to pull off when you had a field of focus that you could count on from shot to shot. Whereas with big anamorphic, lenses or technorama or todd ao or whatever process they were using once you had those the wider angles you you just you couldn't count on the focus matching with what you were going to be moving around and the challenge this is the only movie ever did this way because the challenges here are tough and i think in that way he pulls this thing off really really well i'm just by the time this movie's sort of halfway into things, I'm, I'm excited once they blast off and you in their little Victorian spaceship and all that, I think is really, really fun. I think the Martian sequences and I think the movie, just the movie from a plot standpoint, just sort of falls apart. Yeah. Once they get there, you just have these vignettes. You don't really have anything that drives you through stuff in a way that I would like. Um, so this was yeah. one I didn't like as much, and yet it, the visuals in it really were kind of amazing. So, Rob, you're about to say something. I can tell. I'll, I'll let Miles go first. Cool. You know, the, the 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 scientist has created this stuff that he names after himself. Is it um, something Ite? His last name and like carbonite or something. Yeah. Like you paint it on anything, it defies gravity, so it becomes weightless. So that's how they they get to the moon. Yeah. One of my favorite yeah. things about this this thing is. And this is one of my old friends. Well, I watched this when I was in grad school with a friend of mine, and she's pointing this out. This film was where it, when he's doing the flashback, it's 1899. And my friend Scouse are pointing this out to us. When the, the, the woman turns up in this film in 1899, she's driving herself. So my friend Scouse are perked up and went, Hey, that's a woman driving herself. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> never dawned on me before and there was another thing that i, I remember talking about it is 
So they pack, they pack all this stuff to go to the moon. They got these diving suits and say, yes, we can use these on the moon. And they, you know, they, <laughs> they uh, you know, yep. um, they pack stuff in there and they bring in some live chickens. And they pack crates of live chickens into this space spacecraft, and then they take off, and there's an explosion, and the car carriage um, and the cottage explodes. So in the next scene, they're hurtling towards the moon, and they're eating. All they eat is sardines. They're eating cans of sardines. Thought, Why have you got live chickens on this ship, and you're just eating cans of sardines for the eggs? <laughs> Maybe, but you'd eat a chicken, mm -hmm. wouldn't you? <laughs> You should. I would just cook Maybe. It. Well, there was an explosion. You could have cooked the chicken then. Yeah. And they bring gin. They pack in bottles of gin yeah, yeah. and bitches and chickens into this space. <laughs> and an we elephant say, gun. Well, we, we moved on, gin. but the citizens of the moon, we should not skip this yeah, movie we, and yeah, skip those was, guys. Uh, I'm going to let Rob tell us what they are and what's good or bad about them because I don't. I don't know what the hell they are. I don't get. I don't get them. <laughs> I really don't get them, but, and that and it hurts the movie because you sort of you, you get catch the vibe of the early wacky steampunk invention stuff. Like you really get into that, and then when you get up there, it gets all. It just gets weird, and and the fun yeah, sort of does. gets sucked out of it somehow. Like I don't know how. Coons or something weird. I don't know. I think they're insects. I love the fact that I've got because uh, uh, back in back insectoids, in we'll call them. Everyone was in all, all, you know, all these industrial engineers were com completely obsessed with the perpetual motion of getting something going and it's going forever. You know, mm -hmm. you talk about. And of course, on the moon, they've got perpetual motion solar powered engine, which keeps the underground city going. Really cool stuff. Yeah. I, I think this is one of the best looking yeah. films. It's undeniable. Like most of the special effects even in hd uh work yes uh, right I, I, that is the miracle of this film truly jason and the argonauts and mysterious island were big big hits and this from a budgetary standpoint i don't know what its budget was compared to the others but it just feels like this was you're in the big time and the next movie yeah. feels like this is you running home to mama when this big spectacle <laughs> film didn't really quite work the way it was supposed to yeah. yeah. Another thing about this film is H.G. Wells, he, he, was, he must have been obsessed with germs because this is another film where the, the, you know, the scientist has a cold and that's what kills all these things on the moon. Yeah. At the end of the film, I think. Jesus. And good riddance to bad baggage, I say. Mm -hmm. So sick of those moon guys. Again, they kind of act like a little holier than thou, let's say. Yeah, Just they a little, little superior to humans, which I think... I think we humans are actually pretty great, you guys. So, there you go. Well, there we go. Hey, hey, listener, listener, if you're going to take one thing away from this, just remember, Ryan loves that you're a human. Thanks. That's my favorite thing yeah. about most of you, in fact. And there you go. Um, moving on to the next, uh, our next movie, um, and this has one of my favorite taglines uh, that that I've uh, that I've uh, I've seen in a very very long time. I love that um, it just says, this is the way it was <laughs> in one million years BC. Wow. This oh, is the wow. way. Did you, yeah, did you need, uh, did you doubt 
Did you ever doubt that they would be wearing like leather fur bikinis? Well, don't, because this is the way it was. This was uh, uh, 10,000, what's it called? Ten, t- I had the numbers. And... 1 million BC. 1 million. Of course, million. One, 1 million. Let's just go for it. Years of BC. <laughs> I like this one kind of. like I And I certainly get why a young, like, growing up baby boomer would have dug this because it because this is like it's 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 for the era it's downright pornographic and you could get super aroused by the stuff that they're showing Mm -hmm. you um just primitive tribes doing primitive things and really gorgeous uh women like in these tiny little outfits and stuff like you know before the internet this is what you had really to get excited about were these sorts of deals Um, that is a real phenomenon, a real part of the history of this movie. So I'm not just saying that because I'm a perv. I really believe that its reputation is built upon that to some degree. Um, yeah, I, got some, I got something to float out here, though. Yeah. I, I, it, this dawned on me this morning because I was re-watching something about this movie because I don't have a copy of this movie and I wanted mm-hmm. to say something intelligent about it <laughs> right. that didn't involve famous movie stars in a loincloth. Right and the timeline being completely ridiculous, but you've got this dark-haired tribe who are at war with a blonde-haired tribe, right? You have the cave people versus the shell people, we'll call. And them. then you've got this dark-haired person and a blonde person that kind of end up trying to decide if they're going to get it together, right? Yep. And the tribes are that's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, essentially it is. It's, it's and, West Side Story with dinosaurs. Yep, and with and the dinosaur attacks are pretty great. And I really like the big ending. Isn't dinosaurs at all? The big ending come doesn't come out of nowhere, but it it it's volcano eruption and really just sending everything straight to hell. And that is a really really exciting uh, bit. The thing that's neat about this movie is the same thing that's neat about like really well done anthropological films, like which this isn't, but but like quest for fire and you know it, there's no there's no english in it and there's no subtitles for it and you follow everything that's happening between all these people and i think uh, that sure. i think that's like a actual real accomplishment there aren't a lot of movies that are like that um where you just where the movie's just confident enough to know we're going to tell this story these characters all their motivations they they talk to each other but we're not privy to what they're saying um I just I think that's really really cool. Much cooler than watching the tribes fight stop motion dinosaurs with spears at this point like that. I'm yep. it looks good, but I'm less impressed with it. Not to mention that that's the best part of the dinosaur bits. Mostly in this movie when dinosaurs show up, we just hide from them behind rocks for long periods of time. That's not super dynamic or fun. It's much more interesting to me at least when these people are fighting each other for control of the tribe or, you know, when there's all those sort of weird allegiances going, the dark haired guy who finds himself, who's been living this hellacious tribal politic Mm -hmm. and terrible life. When he finds himself amongst the shell people who are like, Hey, this is our beach. And this is where we eat our food. And they're Mm -hmm. just being all nice to him. And you can tell he's like, I don't even know what's going on here. These people are being nice to me. Like, like this is not my reality at all. Yeah. Um, I think that's neat. And so there's a not lot a that I liked day. about this, even though this yep, this 
ancient times like prehistoric film yeah. is kind of not my kind of film admittedly right yeah and yeah. isn't the first dinosaur we see just a iguana yeah yep. yeah just yeah it's a weird that they have the mix of stop motion and then actual iguanas with scale effects yeah. which is yeah, pretty but, lame yeah yeah and then uh, and yeah. then okay it was an iguana and it's over but then they bring the iguana back and you're like no 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 iguanas that we're done with those, you know, so that's right. kind of, yeah. I think, uh, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I, I like the sociological aspects of it as opposed to the, the monsters and stuff. Right. Um, right. And I thought the, the end effects with the volcano eruption and the, the land splitting apart, uh, it truly a big really disaster well ending on a low budget yeah. that they really pull off pretty well, I have to say. Yeah. So that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. And uh, um, who's the lady in it? I can't remember. Raquel Welch. Raquel, Raquel Welch. Yep. And uh, you get to stare uh, at her. Mm -hmm. You get to ogle her for the entire film. <laughs> That's not that entirely unpleasant. That's not nothing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, a, and Raquel Welch a... for a, a pinup star is really a pretty good actor too. And she, she does a really, really nice job in the show. In the show well, I, I think it's ironic. Every time I talk, think about this film, I'm, I just think about part of the Shawshank Redemption because when they find Andy Dufresne's tunnel, the right. warden has to actually put his hand between her legs to rip open the poster. Mm -hmm. It's That's true. It's a legacy that lived on. It certainly yeah. made an impression on a young Stephen King, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's um, to me, that's what the legacy of this thing is, is that... <laughs> right, it is. It is. I the mean, they the for a bikini, like a fourteen-year-old um, kid watching this movie, given what had come before, and with no yeah. idea of what was going to come after, had to be losing their minds. <laughs> every fourteen-year-old boy, every fourteen-year-old boy was a grunting Tumac, yeah, you know, like, oh, to say the least. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, I think that. Yeah lives on like i think the movie carries that with it no matter when you watch it that's still part of it and i and yet i don't feel it's like blatantly gross or exploitative i think it's just by its nature of what it is it has that effect on you which so i don't feel like we're watching mm -hmm. anything it, like it's that perfect mix of like you get it you get what's right. arousing about this without feeling like you're ew like you never really feel that way which i think is good for me right and it and it and it does have it is still like like Maz pointed out it's telling that classic that classic story that classic Romeo and Juliet that classic West Side story which of course is why the dinosaurs really did go extinct is because they couldn't snap yeah did they did they go extinct are you sure about that I think we have a oh, movie nice coming segue. up here that would nice would segue. say you're wrong about that true true Mostly. I mean. The there are some remote parts of Mexico, apparently. Yeah, you can travel to the to the valley of Guanji. Cowboys, yourself, cowboys versus yourself dinosaurs is basically what this yeah. movie is. Yep. Um, yeah, Valley of Guanji. Uh, you get good old Guanji is a uh, Allosaurus. Um and uh yeah, I, I this I'm gonna read we haven't been reading really the, the, the film descriptions, but I really like this one. Great. A cowboy named a cowboy named Tuck Kirby seeks fame and fortune by capturing an allosaurus living in the Forbidden Valley and putting it in a Mexican circus. His victim, called the Guanji, turns out to have an aversion to being shown in public. <laughs> <laughs> 
well done, whoever wrote that synopsis. <laughs> yep. It's a little long, but it sticks the landing for sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I like, uh, I like, I, he's like midget Charlton Heston. We talked about him in the disaster yes, movies. James Franciscus blessed. is the lead in this. But the movie's not really his movie. It's it's his ex-girlfriend's movie. She runs a old Wild West show. And they used to be lovers, clearly. And, and it's interesting that we're coming into a relationship in a movie. Like, this stuff is all really complex compared to these earlier films where it's all just, you're just, this is that, this is this. You know, they were meeting them after they've already had a relationship and broken up. And now they're coming back together again. And she doesn't hold her own so much with him as I like that we're in a different emotional place when things start. And I like that she is the voice of us when they stumble across this dinosaur while they're out chasing Mexican bandits who stole something from them. What did they steal? Uh, like their, their elephant they or were something? Trying to get, take the, the miniature pony back yeah. to the Valley of the Guanji to lift a curse. Gotcha, because that's where the pony came from in flashback. We learned that. So yeah, it, yeah, okay. Well, that's see what I mean. This is actually yeah. this movie's super stupid, but it it has this sophisticated layers of storytelling that most of these really truly don't have. And I dig that about it. I certainly like the dinosaur effects. I think cowboys versus dinosaurs on horseback this is tough to pull off, and it looks really really great. The dino rampage at the end of the movie is is. It's not worthy of King Kong or anything, but it it's it they're going for that kind of scale and that kind of nature fights back sort of justice. And I love that the girl in the film really doesn't want to bring this dinosaur back and what doesn't really thinks this is all wrong what they're doing. And I just I like that I like that Cassandra aspect of the storytelling, I guess. I think that's that works pretty cool. And again, Mexico, it's exotic. You know, critics hated this film at the time. This was where these started going downhill for them. I think the the prehistoric times thing is its own gimmick. This sort of, you know, 60s talking cowboys fighting dinosaurs. Like, they're just like, this is this stuff is stupid. And you, I, it was really hard to find a good review of it. But again, kids of the right age who grew up with this stuff loved it it was an adventure like the kinds of which they liked and i i took it on that vibe and was able to really enjoy it actually and was surprised how big the big disaster ending was i was really surprised by that i really didn't think i don't know he does his thing you know in the arena which i was expecting i really didn't think he was just going to get loose and just tear the whole place apart that was really really fun I thought the, the the climax where the dinosaur is chasing them in a church was unexpected. Right. And the, like, there the fire dinosaur effects in there that are, were new, church. that was something we haven't seen before, which I thought yeah. was cool. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also really liked, uh, I, I, I took this one more than any of the others as like a flashback to being a kid, mm. you know, in the late 70s early 80s and yeah. come across something like this on the on afternoon and just being kind of fun you 
lose yourself in the adventure of it. And as an adult, I loved to see Richard Carlson. He played sort of the ringmaster of the Old West show. Mm -hmm. He was in three of the best classic 3D films from the 50s. Want to name them Uh, real quick? Sure. The Creature from the Black Lagoon, It Came from Outer Space, and The Maze. And so it was fun to see him, you know, 10, 15 years later. I have the proof. I once wrote to Rob one afternoon, hey, is the maze worth it, If even if I don't like 3D? And he wrote back to me, yeah, it's pretty good. And the, the mystery is like a humdinger of a thing. And I was like, yeah. all right, I'm buying the maze. And every second of the maze when I was watching it, I was blaming Rob. in kind of a great way because because rob knew i wouldn't i don't want to be told what the thing is i'm just saying "Ah, is it worth it i looking at it doesn't um the maze does rocky world so but we'll talk about that some other day i'm sure the 3d and it's amazing which i know yeah but i didn't watch it in 3d so all i was left with was the reveal which is asinine and uh, almost just but, gobsmacks but, you across but the just yeah right i mean it rocks you it does rock you it, the... it, and you warned me that it would and it did yep. so i guess i don't have anything to complain about um in the valley of the guangyi maz no scientists here either unfortunately <laughs> uh, i just i i i have seen this i've seen the end of this film um and i actually just watched it because of your man who was in um belief to planet of the apes Right, right, right. But I, it was, it is kind of a, I, you know what? Now thinking about it, and what, what I did with you two the last time I was on your show, this could have actually just been a disaster movie. Sure. <laughs> yes, it, it it is formatted <laughs> and set up at like a disaster movie. I totally yeah. agree. And it came yeah. out roughly in the era, a little pre, but roughly in the era of the disaster movie too. But as far as the special effects, I thought you know the fight in the church all the way through the whole thing at the end where yeah. you know. It, Everything just burns. I mean, <laughs> spectacular. Yeah, yeah, it really it's was. It's a dumbass story, but for for a, a vis- the visualness of it, it's pretty impressive for when the film came out. Yeah, yeah, that's. I would agree. I this was a pleasant surprise to me. I had never heard of it, let alone seen it before. So I didn't have any nostalgia for it, and it, it did win the day to the degree that it could. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right, well, well, and there's a sadness to it. When they're frog marching that dinosaur through the desert back to be a showpiece, like it's yeah. it's the ugly part of King Kong that they didn't show, the getting it yeah. back to the mainland. And I I it's harsh and it's awful, and you're just like, uh, you know, we already know these wise old sage like Mexican ladies, like it's a curse, you curse, that's ah. and you just feel that curse of and and for what reason? Not to study it or to bring it. Or what? It's to make it part of a a sideshow. It's it's there's an ugliness to that that we deserve to pay for at the end. And the yeah. fact that it happens in a church and stuff like it's visually and symbolically very very strong stuff. Although that little town they're in couldn't have a church of that cathedral esque type size. But yeah. that's that's a that's a complaint that doesn't has no place in a discussion of a movie like this. So there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's move, let's move on. Uh, 15 years after uh, our first uh, cinematic voyage with Sinbad, we, uh, we, we rejoin uh, the cavalcade of adventures uh, with two movies. 
some back-to-back Sinbad. You know, it's like, yeah, like it's you know, we are definitely coming to the toward the you know the the like some of these movies aren't doing so well. Well, let's go back to a formula we know works. Let's go hang <laughs> out with Sinbad again. First yeah. with the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and then followed right up with Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. I remember uh, people get this confused with a Rocky movie. I've heard. Yeah, I mean, when 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 you're watching Sinbad fight Clubber Lang, it uh, it, what, it what's really the first one? Confusing. Not Eye of the Tiger, but the Golden Voyage. Well, the Golden of Sinbad. Voyage of Sinbad. Another Sinbad. couple, a couple, another couple iconic uh, uh, stop uh, motion sequences here with the the uh, what's the oh it's the it's the the god, weird uh, Indian the, god the, the with the multiple are, yeah. arms and the swords. Yeah, I got a fantastic effect. Really yeah, that really was mm-hmm. that's the highlight of that film for me. For me, what I liked about this is that the Sinbad aspects of the story, the non effects aspects are are really really good in my opinion compared to seventh voyage of sinbad and i definitely even though i know what rob is talking about about how cool that actor is and i think he's even better in a worse movie in the in the gulliver film yeah because i think that's more in his wheelhouse this dude uh what's his name the name of the actor that plays sinbad i think he's fantastic i think he's one of the best leading men in, in any of these films in fact uh, he was very famously in Die Diabolique or whatever yeah, that movie the is. Baba film. Yeah, he's yeah, got John Philip, John Philip Law. Law. John Philip Law. He's yeah. fantastic. He's There's yeah. a scene where he busts the, where he, and who's the woman in it? Somebody awesome, right? Uh, yes, it is Caroline Monroe. Yeah, so former Bond villain and and in a bunch of cheesy, crappy B movies of this era. Um, with those wicked sort of eyes. And it's fun, Caroline, because she's so exotic looking and because her scowl is so powerful, was cast as femme fatales a lot. It's very, very cool to see her play a cursed sort of nice lady. Like, I really, really dug that. And I thought I thought that played really, really well. I thought Philip Law, when he first sees her for the first time, there's sort of magic there. There's this great scene where there's this rich... Uh, rich um you know uh entrepreneur or whatever rich business owner of the town who tries to get him to take his drunken son away and let him grow up a little bit which i think is really fun i think that son's character throughout is awesome and i just think john philip lawn is turban he's so regal and yet when he leans on something he's so like movie star cool at the same time he's got this perfect mix of that stuff he's better than the material largely but my favorite, favorite, favorite thing, and it's probably not surprising to a couple of you, my favorite thing about this movie by far is how absurdly understated and serious Tom Baker takes the villain performance in it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mixed with how off-the-wall cartoonishly crazy he goes when he becomes invisible. <laughs> I love that so much, and I just don't know how to say. Sometimes Some things just connect with you. He's got this line when he's invisible. He's like, and I'll do the whole thing for you. And you can figure out what happens at the end without me telling you. He, he, there are these three things that they're on this quest to do that will bring you like all the power to rule the kingdom. Blah, 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 blah. And one of them is the Cloak of Darkness, I believe it's called. Maybe it's called something else, but I think it's Cloak of Darkness, which while it is the thing you put on invisible and then you can sword fight people with just your only see the sword or whatever. 
Um, and he puts this thing on, sure enough, and becomes invisible. And he's like, ah, and he says, Tom Baker. And you can't see him, and yet you can feel he's there, which is kind of important for the sequence. He says, you can't kill me, but I can destroy you. <laughs> because of course he gets stabbed because he's being so loud and demonstrative that it's not hard to know where he is even when he's invisible and I love you can't kill me but I can destroy you I say that when I'm driving my car down the street to people who piss me <laughs> off I say it when I go to buy something that was on sale and it isn't anymore. I say, you can't kill me, but I can destroy you. As a rallying villain cry from the depths of the darkest part of my soul, because I just think it's so perfectly villainy. And I think Baker's fantastic in this film. And, it, it, that, and then, I guess you guys can just talk about the cool effects. There's a bunch of them in this one, so... Yeah, uh, I didn't really care about those because I was so into the human story, you guys. Mm, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, the, the Kali, the, the 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 sort of the Hindu uh, dance god that ends up fighting uh, Sinbad with six arms. That's a great um, sequence, by the way. I mean, that yeah, really is special. That's special. Uh, yeah, that's that's one that's an all timer. That is, uh, and it's it's just really super cool. And like the um, like the skeleton fight, there there's steps and there are these multi levels to it, and so there's all this visual interest that's a part of it that just has nothing to do with the fact that there's a magical stop motion creature in it. It's really really well choreographed, just yeah. as a fight scene, which I like mm -hmm. as well, which shows that he's getting a little more sophisticated. Uh, Rob and Maz, uh, do you also feel like um, you can't be killed, but you can be, you can destroy someone? Yeah, um, well, no. I, I feel like if you kill him, he's just going to regenerate in. Yeah, it's kind of there is, that. and he does in the yeah. next film, but he regenerates back into the second Doctor. So I don't understand how that works. <laughs> um, it's always confusing that one. Yes. It is a little hard to follow, but whatever. As long as your friends come back to life, that's what's important. Indeed. There are other uh, creatures let's... in this, though, just besides that one, although that is the best yeah, yeah. one. It's not even the ultimate thing they have to fight. It, it's the penultimate right. thing. Um, yeah, we get, um, yeah, we get like this. Uh, uh, I'm trying to find their names again of these, uh, these beasties. Um, and I love that in the end, and this is spoiler for it, but I love that it's the guy, it's the it's the dude that they're traveling with them that they give. Sinbad doesn't take the crown for himself. He gives it back to the rightful prince who you believe right. is going to rule justly. I think all that. It's great just hero stuff that I really, really Yeah, think. there's a, there, oh, the, humun the homunculus. That's what they get to the, the, the cup. There's a couple homunculi in that's, it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Homunculi. And we have a centaur. And yeah, is it I, the um, centaur that is the big boss that they fight at the end? Yeah, or? the centaur is the baddie. Yeah, the centaur is uh, is the final level. Because the and, the uh, Hindu thing is just a statue that comes to life, right? Right. Which also makes yeah. it harder to kill because it's not even a it's not even what it is. It's this bronze statue which you you can stab it. Yeah, and we also stuff have a it, but yeah. Yeah, there's also a wooden uh, statue that that they fight to and and end up having to you know. 
lots of sure. variety of stuff in this one, though. I guess I'll say this was yeah. my favorite Sinbad movie by a long shot. Which I um, guess what about bring, what about Sinbad know, and the Eye of the Tiger? Yeah, Maz, pick pick a Sinbad movie, Maz. Uh, which do you which do you want to talk about? Let's go on to or the next. Talk both or in both. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Clubber Lang and the Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Um, another Bond girl. Another yeah, Bond Jane girl. Seymour. We have Jane Seymour. Our first mm-hmm. double feature. Yeah, although Carolyn Different. Monroe is technically not a Bond girl; she's an assassin. She's and, a henchman. Um, she's a girl. But, uh, but she's a killer. Just that. making that that's, distinction. That's, that's a good point. That's for our different show. That's for our Bond show a couple, couple years ago. Just because you're a girl um, in a Bond movie, you know, you're not doesn't make you a Bond girl. Mm-hmm. Pat, uh, Patrick Wayne it takes the mantle of Sinbad in uh, in this movie. Um, He's fun in a laid back sort of seventies yeah. kind of way. Yeah, no, they tried to get John Philip Law to do it, but he was busy doing something else. So. I like the right. new guy, but it, I really like the old guy. So, of course, I was a little conflicted. Right. But I liked him. You can see why people um, would follow him, you know, into certain doom and danger. And mm-hmm. Jane Seymour is great. And of course, my favorite thing about Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, because this is this is really seventies. The harems and stuff where they looked sort of exotic and sixties or fifties ish. In this movie, feels like a, they went into a disco, like in Yemen yeah. or something, and it, it just feels kind of weird and dirty and like a, the the stuff that had been working for them on some sort of exotic level in this film doesn't really work very well. It's hard you know, to explain. You're right. Yeah. It does look like they're wearing polyester. It does. This film yeah. feels like that. It feels it's like shiny. a dip. yeah, yeah. <laughs> truly. It I, feels I like it's it's really stuck in the seventies. The way the film yeah. from just a few years early didn't feel. Um, one it, thing I really like a... about it is when the biggest, most famous monster in it shows up, they take a different tact with him, and he becomes their friend. That's a big spoiler alert for the movie, but that's something new that we hadn't seen yet that I really sort of dig because I assumed when. That dude's all, he's got the big caveman thing and everything, and you you mm-hmm. think they gotta have a showdown with it, and somebody gets the idea in their head, well, oh, let's just talk to it first, you know, <laughs> and then he's their pal, and and he comes in super useful in the second half of the movie, actually, so that's kind of neat. Very they should have cool. tried that with the giant crab. Yeah, nah, maybe not. Yeah. Um. Did you even try talking to the giant crab, or did you just try stabbing yeah, it? Yeah, say, oh, it's well, just, it's just worth you know mentioning that. Here, here's the thing, though. There's a reason why crab is also you know what you say when someone's in a bad mood. Um, crabs are notoriously difficult. I mean, they're just they're just they're mean. Maybe and, the crab um, was a bad example. The crab. Yeah. The, yep. Um, well, if you could only walk uh, in a sideways manner, maybe you would uh, be a little bit salty, too. The old yeah. wise man is played by an actor of some kind here, too, isn't he? That's uh, Patrick Troughton. He's the second yeah, that, doctor. Yep. Another doctor. Okay, I'm yep. sorry. I mm-hmm. I was missing your doctor comparison jokes. Yeah, two doctors in yep. a row. Um, but this, you can really feel the air getting let out of the tires of the stop-motion adventure here. This is really out of that era. Um, and they don't do enough, I think, to differentiate it from the last movie. It really just, it really, whereas I think the second Sinbad movie is really great. This really feels like, eh, Sinbad again. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, another hidden fortress they have to get to. They do do some nice things with the lost civilization and how they stay hidden and the fortress at the end. Like there's some cool design things that I really, really like. And the villain in this is, 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 uh, not bad. She's pretty vicious and she's a vicious henchman who the main villain like doesn't think much of. And I think her insecurities making her evil is like something the movie sort of gets across, but she also shrinks and yeah. shrinking people. Like I just, those, I just, I'm sorry to say that stuff does nothing for me. I really just, I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. That guy was standing here and this guy was standing there. And then, Oh yeah, that's a, obviously a blue screen effect of some kind or a rear projection effect. Like it's also obvious how they do that stuff that I don't super get into it, but, mm. but, it's still Sinbad, and it's still a big adventure, yeah. and it ends with a big sword fight against a big monster. Um, and there's a lot of sacrifice in this one, too, which I think is a theme of it that I actually kind of like. So, anybody else? Let's, Let's the, move on. The old guy I they find in the mountains, yep. Patrick Trotton, he's sort of a science guy. He's sort of a science guy. He's more of like an old-timey Johnny the Explainer mm -hmm. kind of guy. But, I mean, he, he, right. he's wise old guy who helps you in mm -hmm. the same way the old scientist would in, in other films. But they... I don't know what they did or what they how they evaluated this to get them to the next movie, but they did in the, in the time in between, which was a pretty decent amount of time, four years, they... They did everything right, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, at this point in Harryhausen's career, things are getting so epic that he has to start bringing... He can't quite do everything himself. So he's bringing on a couple assistants, and and he's sort of... I think he's sort of also realizing, I don't think, I don't know how much more I want to do of this. It's, the technology <laughs> is changing. Uh, I don't... You know, I'm... Ha you know, I've... 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 I've, I've I've achieved the mountaintop. Uh, he's he's achieved to the you know he's reached the summit several times, uh, doing an amazing amazing jobs. But he has one more movie in him, and this one of course is 1981's Clash of the Titans. Uh, uh, a movie I unabashedly I love. I love this movie. I, I do. This is my favorite Harryhausen film actually by far there are so many cool effects in here so it's packed with so many cool effects ideas as you say you kind of need a whole new crew to do it um i viewed Harry it was doing the main ones i mean his assistants were really only doing bebo isn't that yeah. the name of the owl bebo Bubo. and and the uh, bubo yeah and uh and the or and bubbo. the, um, and the, uh, the, uh, the the um, the, per the the horse the flying horse oh my god yeah it, yeah anything Pegasus. that flies they also did the yeah. big weird vulture that flies the cage out to right. the swamps right um, but that still leaves a ton of stuff that Harryhausen uh, was was doing but what this has is this great I mean it has this great story out of mythology that they turned into a Saturday afternoon matinee adventure in all the best possible ways so the story here is ripe with cool ideas and stuff and I remember even in 1981 the thing that was criticized about this movie was were the effects that stuns me because you you 
Even as a kid, you knew what you were seeing weird old stop motion effects. They were antiquated. Mm-hmm. But it was a story that took place in an old ancient time with gods and stuff. Like it, it all fit in so perfectly. And even at nine years old, I sort of knew. Yeah, that guy obviously in close up is a dude's face, and then when he's not, he's this little guy walking around, this little action figure. Like I, I got that, but that didn't matter. The the story you get swept up in the the petty squabbles of the gods, even more than Jason and the Argonauts, where the gods were actually like they were more like fans in the expensive box seats at the soccer game who were like the hat it rooting for the humans to do things. Well, like this movie, they're all, they all taken their sides, but I love the Mount Olympus stuff with that cast of actors, you know, Claire Bloom, I think has one line in clash with the Titans. So why is she even there? Well, so that you can have all these famous recognizable faces that playing the mm-hmm. gods i think they get a lot of mileage out of that i think the kraken as far as large scale um monster from a monster film like it, they brilliantly bring it out and the, they bring the queen out early you know they bring it out at the beginning then it goes away for the whole movie and they bring it out back at the end i think that's genius i think medusa's terrifying i think the scorpion is so awesome yep. i think the mood and the design of the thing like when they go out into that murky murkwood where the bad guy lives and she's like yeah. sleepwalking it's all dreamlike and magical um, yeah. the only thing I don't like is that in the early earthquake scenes, when the Kraken attacks, all these guys like tip over and they're all wearing modern running shorts under their togas and stuff, all of them. <laughs> and you see multiple times, one particularly egregious one. And I'm like, they all like, look like they're like, they're, they're wearing these Bruce Jenner kind of like, you know, Olympic jogging shorts, yeah. basically. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The little stripes uh, down the yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, uh, you guys. It's not that I want to see your wang or that I think you needed to wrap yourself up in some sort of towel or something, but s- something that's not just completely wrong and out of place and not right in the first opening of the film. But I love that. I was terrified. Like, they're going to just lock this lady in a bo- coffin and float her out to sea. Like, I didn't know these stories. I, just, I knew... I came to mythology through Clash of the Titans, the 1981 film, right? Mm-hmm. It's the first time I learned about any of these people. So I was like, oh, that's terrible. You can't do that. Um, I just, I yeah. think it's magical and wonderful. I think the final showdown is incredible. I think the princess is cute and high-minded and a, like a worthy ruler and, and is worthy. This quest to save her is cool. I think Hamlin's fun. I often love Burgess Meredith in it as the old player who's like has to explain to our hero what's going on. Mm-hmm. Perseus. Come I on, Perseus. It. I love it. Come I love I love, the, I love the I love the winged me. winged Pegasus. That's so cool. Perseus, he gotta switch to Southpaw. <laughs> so uh, I, yeah, so go, there go. you go. Joel loves Clash of the Titans. There's all the uh, multitude of reasons I love it. You know, I, this film came out in 81. I saw it um, in about 1984, I think. And I, the reason I remember seeing it when I did, when I was 14, I was around my best friend's house and they had all the cool gadgets. So I saw this film. I hope three, the three of you are sitting down. I saw this film on Laserdisc. Yes! Woo! <laughs> nice! 
you got one of the all-time Laserdisc fans on the show with you here, bro. That's so awesome. The, the, and at the time in England, the only other thing you could get on Laserdisc, I think, was um, The Sound of Music. <laughs> That's a good one. I first saw this film and later, and then I had to go and read a lot of Greek mythology because I remember not knowing what the hell was going on. Yeah, yeah, truly. I, I didn't know who anyone was. I didn't get it. I thought, what's... And then I realized, man, these Greeks, they were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, I, yeah, I, first, I first saw this film, I think, about 15 years ago. Wow. I know. How did, how'd that happen? I don't know. I don't know either. You skipped uh, the Laserdisc era, even. That's crazy to me. <laughs> well, it was it was a limited release. Anyway. Yeah, well, yeah. still. How 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 did it how did it read to you in in uh, what in early aughts, um, you know, or late aughts, I guess, uh, viewing? Did you watch it because you thought you were going into the Sam Worthington version? And, oh, yeah, and no, I I've never seen that. Uh, you know, I don't know how I missed it, but probably I wasn't into Greek mythology or whatever. Yeah, so. you were nine. I wasn't I into Greek mythology either. And my mom and dad just said, here, you're going here today. And I just went in and we didn't know what we were going to see. Like yeah. that's not to mention that it played on HBO like eight million times. I mean, how did yeah. you miss it? I, I don't know. I mean, I've I've seen snippets and clips and stuff, well, that's, obviously, but it's it's happened yeah. with me with a few films too, no yeah. question. A few on this list. So I guess we'll ask you because you don't seem real enthused yeah. about it. What is it like <laughs> seeing it as a, an adult instead of as a kid? You know, who are its yes. intended we audience? We do not mean there. we do not mean to clash shame you. Right. Uh, that that is Maybe not we our need to do it's that. Just... We'll listen to what you have to say yeah. and decide. Well, yes. Well, yes. We might. Uh... It's fine, but it, it 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 falters in that, like we were saying with the early science fiction ones, the early adventure ones, mm -hmm. based on when they were made, you are able to accept the special effects. Yeah. That, that so your problem really is with the effects. The effects just really, I mean, this is. They're terrible a in a way for 1981, but. Yeah. But they're so um, well crafted and so old fashioned in such a magical movie sort of way. And like I said, really, even even when I was nine years old and hadn't seen a ton of these, yeah. I, I understood that fundamentally when I was watching it. You make a good point in that it's easier to accept them because of this type of story it's telling. Yeah. yeah. But based on when it was made in movie history, you can see why this is Ray's last film because his style yeah. of special effects has mm -hmm. outlived its yeah. use. And he can't do any better than this film. Right. And, and, and yet... It, it, the audience for it well i think a lot of people have very fond memories of this film oh, the yes. audience for it on a large scale you know when you work on something for four years and you're just moving these things around like that that was gone at that point they people mm. you know, only only a few more people you know just i don't know people just didn't yeah. see this in the way they wanted although it was it made a reasonable amount of money at the box office yeah. it, yeah, I, right. I don't I don't hate it by any means. I, I like the Medusa part. I liked uh, a lot of the performers. I like the stuff up on Mount Olympus. Um it, 
I don't know. It just, I think you had to see it as a nine, 10 year old, maybe uh, 14 year old. Um, on Laserdisc, if you'd have seen yeah. it on Laserdisc, you'd oh, be all, if right. I had you'd be all like, oh, the Laserdisc was in blah, yeah. C I'm part sure L, I blah, saw blah, it blah, blah, on blah. a DVD through Netflix when it was a mail subscription service. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm sure that's how I saw it. So. Did anyone see the new one? It came, they, they remade it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they made a sequel yeah. to it too. Yeah. 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 I haven't, I haven't seen any, any of them. Yeah. Clash of the you? Titans and Wrath of the Titans. Yeah. Uh, the the Crash of the Titans remake's a little underrated. It's a pretty fun CG adventure. It it's the thing that's terrible about it was it was the first or well, second, I guess, huge 3D film after Avatar, and it was all post converted after the fact, and the 3D is dark and terrible in it. Yeah. And that 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 cheap way of doing it soiled a lot of people on that format but a film not in 3d just taken on its own merits for the time it's sort of fun but i wish there was more story to it and the sequel i don't know how they boofed the sequel up but the sequel is terrible uh wrath of the titans bad oh yes indeed um all right uh, any last words on yeah, I, a couple couple things I wanted to share real quick as we wrap up the Ray Harryhausen. Uh, so many of these things, uh, so many of the the skeletal, uh, what is that called? The apertures? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Apertures, yeah. yep. Yeah. Uh, aperture. The little were built. Yeah. yeah the, the 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 skeleton the skeletons of the models. Uh, uh, most of them throughout all of these movies were built by his dad. Yeah. Um, he had really? very supportive. Ooh. Yeah, he had very supportive parents who um, who said, you know, when at a time when when uh, he's like when when kids were like, I'm going to be in the movies or I want to do, you know, I want to make these little these right. little models and do the stuff. They were like, cool, do it, go, awesome. So, uh, yeah, he, he worked with his, uh, he worked closely with his father for many, many years. Um, and, um, yeah, and, and many, many, many directors, uh, credit. I mean, if you watch Jurassic Park, if you watch Star Wars, if you watch, uh, Terminator, Aliens, all these things, there are so many little homages, little scenic homages to Harryhausen these some of these Harryhausen yeah, films Phil, Phil uh, Tippett effects in particular homage yeah, yeah. Harryhausen almost every time because he's yeah, yeah. such a lover of his stuff so you know some of the things you name plus uh, Starship Troopers and things like that yep, it's yep indeed very very cool indeed uh, Rob final thoughts on Ray Harryhausen well I, I think he he's important historically and it, particularly in the earlier films, it's really easy to put yourself back into the mindset of who these films were made for, which is, I think, for, you know, young people, young kids, these, these are mostly movies that are going to engage, at least nowadays, uh, you know, seven, eight, ten-year-olds um, for whom this is going to give you a weekend's worth of playing outside babbling fake monsters uh and all that stuff and and you know you you still see stop animation happening and it it wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for ray harryhausen wes anderson's made two feature films using stop motion animation and i'm sure that 
those wouldn't exist without Harry Hausen. So it branches beyond science fiction, fantasy, adventure films. If you argue that the Rankin and Bass stuff wouldn't have come along if it weren't for Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen, then you have to say that all the great stuff that we have now, Nightmare Before right. Christmas, um, Wallace and Gromit, definitely the Wes Anderson yeah. pieces. I mean, yeah, they it 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 really did start with those guys to some degree, even yeah. though the family entertainment talking critters stuff is a little bit right. on its own track. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's still very, very cool. And it's such an yeah, yeah. amazing art form. And I think that's when I saw the Wallace and Gromit shorts, I was just, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Such amazing, exciting, inventive stuff in using this old ancient technique. It just shows that it, it it's not, it's not a lost art. The, there are people who've done doing it the best are still doing it today. Slightly mm-hmm. different format of, of films and storytelling that they're doing it under, but nevertheless, really, really cool stuff. Maz? I, you know, 30 year career. I mean, it started off, you know, I know there were color movies in the 30s, but, you know, his first work was black and white classic science fiction films with, you know, aliens and monsters and things waking up from in sh- stupid depths in the ocean <laughs> they, they grab your attention and it, from even if you watch if somehow a gen zer is going to sit down and watch a black and white science fiction film from the 50s and they've got an open enough mind it's it's believable you know you can see and you can say yeah great you know it's a interesting monster in a movie and of course you know you, even if you knew that nothing lives on venus right have a 200 foot monster that that's well if there was one that's probably what it's going to look like they all adhere strictly <laughs> to their own reality i think yeah. and that reality is easy to buy into if you if you bring with if you leave a little cynicism at the door but even if you bring some cynicism with you the goofy things in it the the you know operation experiments and what was the other one the so- solid electricity here's yeah, yeah. I mean, that, solidified, solidified electricity that is, that's fun you know, what's not fun about that and that was my end yeah. to clash which i think was the first area house movie I ever saw it was his last movie i i loved it i love that that idea that you're you going back to ancient times and yeah the effects are kind of ancient too but the melding of the ideas is so cool and just the the generosity of effects that you get in some of those later movies are really amazing mm. to me even with computer generation they have to learn how to do that yep one they still have to think about it in the same way as you know. and they still they probably have to go back to how he would have done those movies to learn how to do it on a computer. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. All right, everyone. So I hope that uh, this uh, this trip down uh, Harryhausen Lane has uh, inspired you to maybe check out a couple of these uh, these older films, uh, and or if nothing else, appreciates the um, some of the modern stop animation. Um, movies that are out nowadays uh, you of course can uh, reach out to us on the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook uh, at the movie show with Joel and Ryan uh, on YouTube and if you are watching us like subscribe you can also reach out to us at ask Joel and Ryan on Instagram and TikTok which someday I'll post again there I just gotta get around to it uh, 
Uh, all right, everybody, that is going to do it for us for this week. We got some fun stuff coming up for the holidays. Uh, more exciting, more exciting stuff. And then, of course, we're going to be getting into the new year. And that's when things just get really bonkers as we start up a new season. Um, so, all right. Uh, Rob, Maz, thank you both so much for joining us. Great to have you guys again. Always a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Lovely. Thanks for Take coming, care, you guys. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.